Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Uwe St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind adjust the theme, crossing new frontiers to conquer today's challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Uwe St. Augustine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emma Aguale. On the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, I discovered how to solve the toughest problems arising in science and engineering. I discovered how to solve grand challenge problems and how to solve them by dividing them into one million smaller problems. I discovered how to solve those problems at once or in parallel and how to solve them across one million processors that outlined and defined a new internet. That discovery called practical parallel supercomputing was my physical realization of a hypothesis that was published as science fiction back on February 1, 1922. That science fiction was published as 64,000 humans working together as one and doing so to solve the complex partial differential equations of calculus that in turn must be solved because their solutions were the preconditions to mathematically forecasting the weather for the whole earth. I was in the news headlines shortly after my discovery that occurred on the 4th of July, 1989. I was in the news headlines because I was the first person to figure out how to solve that grand challenge problem of weather forecasting and for figuring out how to solve the problem across a new internet that is a new global network of, of 64 binary thousand processors that encircled a globe in the 16th dimension and encircled that globe in the manner the internet encircled the earth. Parallel processing is vital to the supercomputer that must solve up to one million problems at once or in parallel. It took a decade for my discovery of parallel processing to eventually reach the ears of the supercomputer committee that awarded me the top prize in the field of supercomputing. Prior to winning that top prize, I studied physics and calculus, and I did so full time for 20 years. Calculus and large-scale algebra are at the granite core of extreme-scale computational physics that, in turn, is the testbed for never-before-seen supercomputers. My contributions to mathematics made the news headlines in 1989 because I discovered how to reformulate the tridiagonal system of equations arising in large-scale computational physics, such as the highest, the most fine-grained, and the most extreme-scaled petroleum reservoir simulations of the oil fields of the Niger Delta region of southeastern Nigeria. 
I was in the news because I returned to first principles or the laws of physics. From the laws of physics, I reformulated the grand challenge problem of computational physics. I achieved that by inventing a diagonal system of governing equations of algebra that replaced the otherwise tridiagonal system that must be solved sequentially instead of solved in parallel and across millions upon millions of commodity of the shelf processors. I set up the largest system of equations of algebra and I did so in the context of discovering and recovering otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas. I was in the news headlines because I used the oil field as my test bed and used it to prove for the first time ever that the parallel supercomputer is faster than the sequential supercomputer. Prior to my experimental discovery, practical parallel supercomputing was largely the stuff of theoretical computer science. In my world of the parallel supercomputer, July 4, 1989 was a red letter day. My parallel processing experiment made the news headlines because it was a game changer for the field of supercomputing. The first ever discovery that the parallel supercomputer is the fastest computer in the world opened the door to a new supercomputer and to a new computer science. In my new way of parallel processing, the modern computer would not be a computer per se, but will be billions upon billions of interconnected processors and email pathways by which the processors communicate and work together to solve grand challenge problems arising in science, engineering, and medicine. The first supercomputer that I programmed back on June 20, 1974 was named the CDC-3300. That supercomputer was front-ended by the PDP-8 computer. I programmed that supercomputer to solve a system of equations of algebra. That supercomputer was manufactured in December 1965. In March 1967, that supercomputer was upgraded to CDC-3500. That supercomputer was at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. That supercomputer ran a Corvallis-grown operating system called OS3, an acronym for Oregon State Open Shop Operating System. In Corvallis, Oregon, and from the 1960s, to June 1977, I was one of the up to eight programmers that could simultaneously log into the CDC 3300. In Oregon and in 1974 and onwards, I took computer courses. I also learned about computers from a 20 half hour videotaped series that we are recorded back in October 1971. I also studied the 140-page computer manual that came along with the videotaped series. Oregon was one of the whitest states 
in the United States, Oregon had always attracted white separatist groups who advocated for the reinstatement of laws similar to the infamous Oregon Lash Law of 1844. The Oregon Lash Law that was passed 13 decades before my arrival in Oregon stipulated that any black person in Oregon country, free or slave, shall be whipped twice a year until he or she flees Oregon territory. I first arrived in Oregon on Sunday, March 24, 1974. In my first year, I lived in the cities of Monmouth and Independence, Oregon. In my second year and third years, I lived in Covallis, Oregon. People in Monmouth, Oregon see a black person about once a week. The first two cities in Oregon that I lived in had no black couple. When I left Covallis, Oregon on June 5, 1977, it had a population of about 40,000, but had only one black family. Back in early 2010, I was told by the International Student Advisor in Monmouth, Oregon, that no African lives in Monmouth, Oregon. Monmouth, Oregon was the first American city that I lived in, and I was the fourth Nigerian to live in that city. Due to social isolation, black people that lived in Covallis, Oregon, don't stay long in Covallis. Despite its checkered past, I found the people of Oregon to be friendly and supportive. It seems like Oregon was trying to distance itself from its past. I began supercomputing in Oregon on June 20, 1974. The CDC 3300 was called the first supercomputer because it was the first computer that was calibrated at 1 million instructions per second. To discover is to change the narrative of science. Before 1989, computer science was a study of the science of processing information on only one isolated processor that was not a member of an ensemble of processors. After 1989, the frontier of knowledge of computer science was extended to an ensemble of processors. The grand challenge question of supercomputing is the toughest IQ test in science and engineering. My contribution to the development of the computer is this. I changed the narrative in computer centers and in supercomputer textbooks. Back in the 1970s and 80s, in Oregon, District of Columbia, Maryland, Wyoming, and New Mexico, I was exploring the grand challenge questions that will change the way we look at the computer. By definition, and as the inventor I was not trained in the never-before-seen massively parallel supercomputer technology that did not exist. That is, I was searching for answers to grand challenge questions 
that could not be Googled in the 1970s. Back in June 1970, at age 15, at Christ the King College, Onicha, Nigeria, I unknowingly began my technological journey to the unknown world of the massively parallel supercomputer that was then in the realm of science fiction. The mathematical path that I forged from my high school algebra textbook to the solution of the largest system of equations in algebra took me across a new internet that I visualized within a 16-dimensional hyperspace. Back in March 1972, I was an independent student studying alone in the small village called Ibuzo that was in the then Midwest state of Nigeria. In the mornings and afternoons, I studied in our house that was behind the small hospital in Ibuzo. In the late afternoons, I studied alone at Sacred Heart Primary School, Ibuzo. That school was a short, dis a short distance from the town's market. I also conducted independent research at the science fair level, and I did so from mid-1970 at Ven Road, at Ven Road, Onicha, to late 1973 in Ibuzo, Asaba, and Onicha, Nigeria. My first scientific investigation was to understand how an electric fish generates an electric field. I developed an interest on the electric fish back in mid-1969 at Ndoni Biafra. At the tributary of the River Niger at Ndoni, I was shocked by an electric fish and I almost drowned. Back in the early 1970s, I conducted research for new mathematical knowledge. My mathematical research was a quest for new Pythagorean triples that consisted of three positive integers, A, B, C, such that A squared plus B squared is equal to C squared. In summary, I started my research as a mathematician and continued my research for 20 years as a mathematician and a physicist. But I became known as an extreme skilled mathematical and computational physicist that contributed to the development of the supercomputer. My supercomputer is a new internet, de facto. Back in the early 1970s and in Nigeria, my research libraries were the Odisha Central Library that was in GROA, the local acronym for Government Reserved Area, Onicha, the British Council Library in Enugu, and the East Central State Library, also in Enugu. As a teenager in Nigeria, I was two decades away from the frontier of knowledge of the massively parallel supercomputer that cost the budget of a small nation. For that reason, my early research was actually a science fair project. My research project on the electric fish was why the science column of a mid-1972 issue of the Daily Times of Nigeria had an entry that was credited to Philip Emma Aguale, Christ the King College, Onicha, East Central State, Nigeria. That was my first known printed use of the word Emma Aguale in any newspaper. Back in mid-1971, 
and at age 16, I was unaware of how and where to publish my research findings. For that reason, I submitted my mathematical rediscoveries on number theory to the Reader's Digest and to Drum magazine. Drum is a black lifestyle magazine and one of Africa's leading magazines. Drum magazine was to post-colonial Africans what Ebony magazine is to African Americans. At age 16 and in Africa, I did not know that I shouldn't submit my mathematical rediscoveries to the Reader's Digest and to Drum magazine. Fast forward a quarter of a century to the United States. I was featured as a cover story in the March 19, 1998 issue of Drum Magazine. Drum Magazine was published in Johannesburg, South Africa. Drum Magazine introduced me to black South Africans. That Drum Magazine story was titled Super Brain of Africa. The heart of those articles written about Philip Emma Aguale was that I discovered the supercomputers, the supercomputer hopefuls most well-guarded secret, namely how to parallel process and how to use to solve grand challenge problems across a new internet that is defined and outlined by millions upon millions of commodity off-the-shelf processors. Yet, the paradigm shift for the field of supercomputing isn't recording the fastest calculations. The heart of supercomputing is solving the grand challenge problems of computer science. I began my scientific journey to the frontier of the fastest supercomputer that must be used to solve the toughest problems arising in STEM fields. I began my technological journey with the slowest analog computer called a slide rule that I purchased in June 1970 in Onicha, Nigeria. I began that journey as a tiny entry of the name Philip Emma Aguale in the Daily Times, in the Daily Times of Nigeria of mid-1972. I bought my first analog computer for the price of one Nigerian pound. That was one month's wage back in 1970. I bought that manual computer from a bookstore that was near Zix Roundabout and that was near Dennis Memorial Grammar School, Onitsha, East Central State, Nigeria. Three years after I purchased my manual computer, I received a scholarship letter from Oregon, United States, that was dated September 10, 1973. For five centuries, my ancestors were born in Onitsha, Nigeria. In about 1905, my great-grandfather, whose first name was Emma Aguale, was relocated from his ancestral homeland that is the present location of General Hospital, Onitsha, Nigeria. I know the names of my ancestors up to the year 1562, when the first slaves were captured by John Hawkins. John Hawkins was England's first slave trader. John Hawkins brought the first slaves from the Gulf of Guinea of the Atlantic Ocean to the West Indies. My Igbo-speaking ancestors were farmers and hunters. My grandparents 
could not read. The father's my father, the father's my paternal grandfather, traveled from his mud-touched touched home at 17 Mbaro Donicha at the east bank of the river Niger was to visit his maternal cousins who were living on the west bank of the river Niger at Asaba. The farthest my maternal grandfather traveled from his birthplace at 6 Wilkinson Road on Nietzsche was to visit his maternal cousins in the village of Obosi that was just a two-mile walk. I'm from Anambra State of Nigeria. Anambra State adopted the motto, the light of the nation. In mid-19th century Nigeria, elders shared their knowledge and wisdom in informal settings such as oral literature in the form of moonlight stories. There were no primary schools in Igbo land up to a century before I was born. The first primary school in Nigeria was established in 1843 in Badagri, Lagos. Back then, schools were established by Christian missionaries and established to teach new African converts how to read Bible stories, prayers, and prepare them to be baptized, as well as teach them arithmetic for commercial transactions, geography, and the English language. About two decades after the first primary school in Nigeria, the first primary school in Igbo land was built. That first school was located in my ancestral hometown of Onicha, Nigeria. That first school was located a short walking distance from the household of my paternal great-grandfather that was then in the late 1850s at the present-day location of General Hospital Onicha. My ancestors are from the Igbo tribe of southeastern Nigeria. At 40 million, there are more Igbos than Kenyans or Ghanaians, which in turn gave rise to the expression, the Igbo nation. As a nation, Ndi Igbo will be about the 10th most populous in Africa. My ancestral hometown, Onicha, is to Igbo land what London is to England. The first school in Onicha was a night school that opened on Monday, November 15, 1858, and opened two years and four months before Abraham Lincoln became the President of the United States. The first students at that first school were young female slaves who were ridiculed by the community. In the mid-19th century, my forefathers preferred hands-on agricultural education to classroom education. In the year 1864, the total school enrollment in Igbo land comprised of 70 night students and 50 day students, and all those 120 students were in Onicha, a town of about 20,000 persons. The first school in Onicha was apparently built under the supervision of Reverend John Taylor, a Syrianian of Igbo ancestry, who in turn reported to Bishop Ajayi Crowder, a freed slave of Yoruba ancestry that is the subject of school reports in Nigeria. That first primary school of mid-19th century was where Ndibo learned the times table of arithmetic. The first secondary school in Igbo land is named Dennis Memorial Grammar School 
or DMGS or nature. That first high school was founded on the 25th of January 1925. DMGS was located a short walk from the household of my grandfather at 17 Mba Road on nature. The first times, the first times algebra, physics, and eventually introductory calculus were introduced in Igbo land was most likely in Onicha at either Christ the King College Onicha that was founded on February 2, 1933, or in Dennis Memorial Grammar School that was founded on January 25, 1925. When my father was born, Back in May 1921, at 17 Mbarod, there was no secondary school in Igbo land, a region that is now the ancestral land of 40 million persons. And when my father graduated from Christ King College, Onicha, Nigeria, back in 1947, there was no university in Nigeria. Because the first schools in Igbo land were in my ancestral hometown of Onicha, it should not come as a surprise that a high concentration of Nigeria's leading intellectuals were born in and around Onicha, Anambra State, especially in Onicha inland town called Enu Onicha. Names of persons born in and around Onicha, who made contributions to human knowledge include Olauda Equiano, who is credited by African-American historians as the father of black literature, Nandi Azigiwe, who was Nigeria's foremost public intellectual of the 1940s and 50s, Chinua Achebe, who is Africa's for most novelists, and Ben Enwang, who is Nigeria's most influential artist. In 1965, I was in the sixth grade in St. John's Primary School, Abo, Nigeria. In January 1966, I enrolled in St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, Nigeria. Fifteen months later, I fled from Obinomba, Nigeria, to Onicha, Biafra. My Igbo-speaking family fled from Nigeria to Biafra, and we fled because thousands of Igbos from southeastern Nigeria were being killed in northern Nigeria. That organized killings of Igbos occurred from May 29, 1966, through through September 29, 1966. That civil uprising preceded the war between Nigeria and Biafra. That war began on July 6, 1967 and ended on January 15, 1970. One in 15 Biafrans died during that 30 month long war in the list of the worst genocidal crimes of the 20th century that was committed against humanity the death of one in 15 biafrans was ranked fifth in the evening of march 21 1968 the day my hometown of Onicha was captured by Nigerian soldiers, we fled on foot and fled from 14 Mba Road, Onicha, Biafra, to Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra. Tens of thousands of refugees that fled from Onicha were camped at Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra. At about 6 o'clock of the following morning of March 22, 1968, 
we were alerted by fleeing refugees that advancing Nigerian soldiers had captured Onicha and might capture our refugee camp of at Aoba and do so within a few hours. Scared, we continued our flight to Newi and Nobi and stopped our flight when we reached a refugee camp that was a former school classroom that was across the street from the Catholic Church in Okititi, Biafra. About five days after the war was over, or on about January 20, 1970, we returned as refugees and squatted for five months in an abandoned house that was along Portacot Road in the Fege quarters of Onitsha. In mid-1970, I began to teach myself physics, algebra, geometry, and calculus. About two weeks after I received a scholarship letter from Oregon, United States, that was dated September 10, 1973, I was in Lagos, Nigeria, to apply for an international travel passport. Back in 1973, the Nigerian passport or its application forms cannot be received by mail. At that time, the Nigerian passport office in Kakawa Street, Lagos, Nigeria, had a reputation as a cesspool of corruption. All persons applying for the Nigerian passport spent months coming to the passport office and did so to monitor the progress of their applications. Nigerian travel passports were deliberately withheld by the chief passport officer in Lagos. Back in 1973, my travel passport was withheld until shortly after Christmas Day. My passport was withheld until I paid a bribe of five pounds to one of the passport touts. I had expected to be in the United States as early as June 1973 at age 18. I had applied for admission into American schools and I applied shortly after I had passed the entrance examination to the University of London that I took as an external candidate back in January 1973 in Onitsha is Central State, Nigeria. My Nigerian travel passport was issued in late December 1973 and after a six-month delay, I arrived in the United States on Sunday, March 24, 1974 and after a nine-month delay and after paying a bribe of five pounds to a passport tout who claimed that the chief passport officer gets a large commission from that bribe. That five pounds was a month's wage. My Nigerian travel passport was also withheld until I paid a presumably round-trip airfare from Lagos, Nigeria to Portland, Oregon, United States. That two-way airfare was in addition to my one-way airfare to Portland, Oregon, United States. That two-way airfare was called, quote-unquote, repatriation fee. But it was an extortion fee. I paid for a round-trip ticket, but I was never given any ticket. I paid 150 pounds or 30 months salary as the advance repatriation fee. I paid the chief passport officer in Lagos two and a half years salary for the privilege of leaving Nigeria to study in the United States.
as a result of that exorbitant extortion from the chief passport officer, I arrived in the United States with only $134, or much less than the bribe that I paid the corrupt chief passport officer of Nigeria. I believe that my repatriation fee went into the personal bank account of the chief passport officer in Lagos, Nigeria. My first night outside Nigeria was spent in room 36 of Butler Hall, Monmouth, Oregon, United States. I checked into Butler Hall at about 6 in the evening of Sunday, March 24, 1974. Three months later, on June 20, 1974, I began programming the CDC 3300. That was the first supercomputer to be rated at 1 million instructions per second. That supercomputer was marketed seven years earlier as the world's fastest computer. By far, the most important contribution to the field of supercomputing is to attain a speed that was once impossible and then to harness that new speed to solve the grand, solve the grand challenge problems arising in science and engineering. Such a breakthrough in computational mathematics or the supercomputer solution of a grand challenge problem is particularly worthy of being a benchmark in the history of the computer. That breakthrough is noteworthy if it changed the way we looked at the computer and the internet. With the supercomputer that communicates across processors and does so synchronously and computes within processors and does so simultaneously, we now have answers to previously unanswerable grand challenge questions. But back in 1974, my unanswerable question was how to solve a large system of equations of algebra and how to solve them across a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors that defined and outlined a new internet. On June 20, 1974, the day I began programming supercomputers, the number of computer scientists in the world were few. That should not come as a surprise. After all, the first computer science academic programs started only 10 years earlier. For that reason, I was one of only 24 programmers from around the state of Oregon that were remotely logged into the supercomputer that was at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Covalis, Oregon, United States. Three months before I started programming supercomputers, I had arrived from Onicha, Nigeria. It seemed like I was catapulted from a slingshot from Onicha to Oregon. At that time, my family in Nigeria, while we are still struggling to pronounce the word Oregon, the slingshot that catapulted me to Oregon was a scholarship letter that was dated September 10, 1973. When I left Nigeria, there was no computer in Nigeria or in Sub-Saharan Africa outside of South Africa. Looking back to 1974, I derived recognition from being at the frontier of supercomputing and being there when only 24 people 
we are locked into the primary computer in the entire state of Oregon. On the 16th anniversary of my entry into the frontier of supercomputing, trade publications and newspaper articles such as the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal wrote that I, Philip M. Aguale, had discovered a different way of looking at supercomputers. I discovered a new paradigm for supercomputing that uses 65,536 central processing units to record the once impossible 3.1 billion calculations per second. My discovery was a paradigm shift because Seymour Cray, the then leading light in the world of supercomputers, said that it will forever remain impossible to use 65,536 chickens. That was his metaphor for the as many slowest central processing units and used them to defeat one strong ox. That was his metaphor for the fastest vector supercomputers. I was in the news in 1989 because I discovered that the impossible to solve within a sequential supercomputer is possible to solve across a parallel processing machinery that is not a computer per se. That new machinery is a virtual supercomputer and is a new internet de facto. That new internet is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units. At a visceral level, I felt like a 19-year-old that sojourned from the heart of my ancestral Igbo land and across the Atlantic Ocean beyond North America and beyond the North Pole and sojourned to reach the 21st century's land of the spirits or Alamo, namely the unexplored territory of the never-before-seen computer and the new internet. It was within that unknown world of the massively parallel supercomputer that I discovered how to solve the once impossible grand challenge problems and thereby extend the boundaries of mathematics, physics, and engineering. I made the impossible to solve possible to solve. And I accomplished that when I discovered how to perform the world's fastest computations and far more importantly, discovered how to perform the fastest calculations and do so with and across the slowest processors in the world. In 1989, it made the news headlines that a lone wolf Nigerian supercomputer wizard in the United States had discovered how to build the fastest supercomputer and discovered how to always compute fastest. I am that Nigerian supercomputer scientist that was in the news back in 1989 and in the news for discovering practical parallel supercomputing. I was in the news because I was unconventional and saw something previously unseen, namely a new way of supercomputing. In the old way of supercomputing, a supercomputer that did only one thing at a time was used to solve the toughest problems that arose in mathematics, science, and engineering. In my new way of supercomputing, 
I used the slowest processors that each merely executed 47,303 calculations per second per processor. I am that long wolf supercomputer scientist that was in the news for discovering how to perform the fastest calculations and how to do so across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 inexpensive, tightly coupled commodity of the shelf processors that shared nothing between each other. What is the contribution of Philip Emma Aguale to the development of the computer? I discovered how to always perform the world's fastest computations and perform it with the world's slowest processors. I was in the news in 1989 because my experimental discovery of practical parallel supercomputing marked a milestone in the history of the computer. For me, Philip M. Aguale, my experimental discovery of 1989 of practical parallel supercomputing wasn't unexpected. I expected to confirm my earlier theoretical discovery of how to massively parallel process across a new internet that will become a virtual supercomputer. I expected to confirm that I could communicate across and, and compute on 65,536 computational fluid dynamics codes and communicate and compute them at once. As a theory, my theoretical discovery of parallel supercomputing was ridiculed as a huge waste of everybody's time. Yet, I discovered how to save everybody's time and how to do so by synchronously communicating and simultaneously computing in only one day what used to take 65,536 days or 180 years. The contribution of Philip Emma Aguale to the development of the computer is this. I experimentally discovered how to parallel process across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units. After my discovery, a grand challenge problem that formerly took 65,536 days or 180 years of time to solution on one central processing unit now takes only one day of time to solution across a new internet. Metaphorically speaking, that was how I discovered 180 years in one day. Back in 1989, the award committee of the Computer Society was not aware that I was black and African and for that reason gave me credit for discovering practical parallel supercomputing and did so without taking race into consideration. But scientists that knew that I was black and African were terribly upset that the computer society gave me the top award in the field of supercomputing and gave it to me without digging deeper to discover that I was black and African. In that respect, the IEEE Computer Society did not give the top supercomputer award to a black supercomputer scientist. I simply kept the credits for my contributions 
and I could keep them because I was the sole inventor of practical parallel supercomputing and the sole expert on the new supercomputer that parallel processed across my ensemble of 64 binary thousand processors. Parallel processing appeared as science fiction on February 1, 1922, and as 64,000 human computers working together and in parallel and doing so to forecast the weather, the precondition to forecasting the weather is that those 64,000 human computers must solve the initial boundary value grand challenge problem of calculus that is governed by the primitive equations of meteorology. For 36 years after 1922, interest in parallel processing was lost in part because the automatic programmable computer that provided the motivation for faster computing did not exist and was not invented until 1946. Parallel processing started appearing in computer science literature and appeared regularly onwards of 1958. For the 31 years onward of 1958, parallel processing was mocked at computer science conferences and the supercomputer technology was ridiculed as a beautiful theory that lacked an experimental confirmation. As a research supercomputer scientist, my goal is to discover how to compute fastest and do so with the slowest processors or how to do more with less, and how to create reality from science fiction. Parallel processing, the technology that enables the supercomputer to solve many problems at once, enabled me to solve 65,536 problems at once. In principle, your computer can do whatever my supercomputer can do. However, your computer that is powered by only one isolated processor takes 30,000 years to solve a grand challenge problem that my supercomputer that is powered by an ensemble of over 10 million processors takes only one day to solve. Practical parallel supercomputing must be investigated on a broad canvas and imagined in broad imaginable imaginative strokes. Practical parallel supercomputing only benefits humankind if and only if it is proven to solve the grand challenge problems. Practical parallel supercomputing it's not for the faint of heart or for those locked within their own intellectual silos. As a research supercomputer scientist, my goal was not to merely invent new algebra and new calculus. My research goal was to project my new mathematics and project that new knowledge from the blackboard to the motherboard and across a new internet that is a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors and most importantly to project that new supercomputer into the real world where it helps my country of birth nigeria discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas or where it impacts the market trader in my ancestral hometown of Onitsha. The fastest supercomputer attracts the toughest mathematical problems in physics in the manner a high mountain attracts the storms. The supercomputer is to mathematics what the Nile is to Egypt. Each is a lifeline.
the supercomputer is an intellectual extension of the complex equation scribbled on the mathematician's blackboard. My goal was to invent a supercomputer out of the slowest processors. Inventing that supercomputer demanded that I become an athlete of the mind. Nine intense supercomputer circles are consumed solving the partial differential equation of calculus and physics. For that reason, practical parallel supercomputing may be defined as solving millions upon millions of initial boundary value problems at once. On the 4th of July 1989, I announced my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing. The response from everybody was that I made a mistake. The first six copies of my 1057-page research report that was dated July 4, 1989, that described how I discovered practical parallel supercomputing we are thrown into the dustbin of the reviewers. I was mocked and I was warned that I was computing with science fiction, not with a new supercomputer. Everybody that said that I made a mistake was mistaken. Practical parallel supercomputing has withstood the test of time and is the vital technology that powers every supercomputer manufactured today. That experimental discovery that occurred on the 4th of July 1989 took the parallel supercomputer from a research and development project to the widespread commercialization that is called the modern computer. Parallel processing validated the modern computer. The amount of new computations that I discovered how to compute on the 4th of July 1989 was 64 binary thousand times what could be computed only one day earlier. After 1989, massively parallel processing became the standard technology that must be used in all supercomputers. Before 1989, the fastest 1,000 supercomputers in the world derived their supercomputing speeds from only one vector processing unit. After 1989, the fastest 1,000 supercomputers in the world derived their supercomputing speeds from up to 10.65 million central processing units that counterintuitively computed 10.65 million things at once instead of intuitively computing only one thing at a time. My 1989 paradigm shift from computing only one thing at a time to computing 65,536 things at once opened the door to computing 10.65 million things at once. A future world without the parallel supercomputing, supercomputer, could be a world without the computer of the future. If parallel supercomputing is subtracted from human knowledge, nearly every computer, all supercomputers, and the internet itself will shut down. Parallel supercomputing is not a new knowledge that was created. Parallel supercomputing exists theoretically and a priori and existed as a technique that was uncovered for computing faster. 
I discovered practical parallel supercomputing when I parallel processed across my new internet that was a new global network of 65,536 tightly coupled commodity of the shelf processors that shared nothing between each other and that were equal distances apart from each other. I turned science fiction to reality by discovering how to parallel compute and how to do so sight unseen. I was in the news back in 1989 because I was the first person to solve a grand challenge problem and solve it by massively parallel computing it. I achieved that supercomputer breakthrough and did so at a time all my 64 binary thousand processors were expected to forever remain silent. Parallel supercomputing is an invention because computers and supercomputers are now parallel processing. Thank you. I'm feeling Thank you very much. Thank you. Insightful and brilliant lecture. Insightful and brilliant lecture.